Welcome to the first episode of our brand new podcast hosted by myself, the counsel to the mayor, Kapel Langani. We created this forum, the first of its kind in New York City, to provide you, the general public, with a unique window into the problem-solving process at the highest levels of our city government, and to be able to share insights into key decisions as told by the trailblazing leaders who made them. And now I want to introduce my two guest hosts today, two women who are truly brilliant and inspire me every day, Bess Chu and Kate Coughlin. Thanks, Capel. Happy to be here. This is Bess Chu. I'm currently Chief of Staff to the Office of the Council to the Mayor. Hi, I'm Kate Coughlin, and I currently serve as Deputy Counsel for the Office of the Council to the Mayor. It's a real pleasure today to welcome our guest, the former Press Secretary to Mayor de Blasio, Freddie Goldstein. Before we talk to Freddie, I think it's useful to give you a little bit of background into this extremely talented human being. Freddie joined Mayor de Blasio's staff in 2016 as a deputy press secretary. And as she said, I think in in one of her tweets, she couldn't find the front door the first day. And and for those of you who've never been to City Hall, it's actually not that easy. You got to go through a few gates and figure out how to get to the front door. But eventually she did make it through the front door and quickly began to climb the ladder. In 2018, she began serving as the communications advisor to Dean Foulihan, the first deputy mayor. And hopefully we'll get Dean on it sometime and you'll come to find out um, what a tough job that was because Dean suffers no fools. And um, while he is perhaps the most talented person in City Hall, uh, working for him, I'm sure uh, anybody will tell you, is difficult because he holds you to such an extremely high standard. That's for another day. Um, Back to Freddie. In 2019, Freddie became the press secretary, one of the toughest positions in the administration. And I think anybody that has worked in City Hall or outside of City Hall would agree with that. Before joining the administration, she was a senior associate at SKD Knickerbocker, where she advised clients on media relations, political comms, and public affairs. And she's a graduate of the great University of Tulane in New Orleans. I had to tell you, I wish I had gone to school in New Orleans. Uh, no offense, Cornell, I love you, but uh, I think New Orleans would have been more fun than Ithaca, New York. Anyway, in this episode, we speak to Freddie about her path to City Hall, her time serving as press secretary, particularly during the COVID crisis, and her unique relationship with the mayor of New York City. We really hope you enjoy it. Our next guest needs no introduction. She is the former press secretary for the mayor of New York City and a social media superstar. City Hall Pass welcomes the wonderful Freddie Goldstein. Freddie? Kapal, that's such a nice introduction. You said I'm, things about me that I don't even know about myself. No. So, so I, I want to explain to everybody. Everybody who is listening to this knows you were the mayor's mouthpiece for several years and did an incredible job in that role. What I think a lot of our listeners probably don't know is that you are also a social media genius. I I often read your tweets because I think about how it is possible that you are able to get so many likes for anecdotes and stories that I find to be completely irrelevant to the city of New York. And yet people can't get enough of it. I remember 
a few weeks ago, you tweeted about an anecdote involving your now fiance in which he had the gall to go to, I believe it was Wendy's and purchase a sandwich for you and then made the extraordinary mistake of not purchasing fries. And your question to the public was whether or not you should dump him as a result. And I believe within mere moments, you had hundreds of likes. While a couple days later, I tweeted out a frequently asked question document involving checkpoints. Um, and I think I got a total of four likes. So my question to you before we jump in, Freddie Goldstein, social media superstar, is how do you tweet out a question about whether to dump your fiance and get hundreds of likes while I continue to tweet out very substantive matters and it basically falls on deaf ears? Can you give all of our social media lovers out there advice on how to get attention and likes for their tweets? I mean, I think that was an easy one. If if you're dating someone and they come back and they haven't brought you fries, it's a pretty simple equation there. And the people agreed. I think I had something like 700 votes and it was overwhelmingly that I should dump him. So that one sort of wrote itself. Um, I think especially right now, and I certainly would not call myself a social media guru, especially in the beginning of working for the mayor's office, I would get so nervous every time I would send out a tweet. It would take me like, eight minutes to actually hit send. I'd read it, I'd rewrite it, I'd sweat a little, I'd get hives. And then finally I would get the confidence to put it out. And then I would reread it like 15 more times to make sure I hadn't gotten anything wrong. Freddie, that sounds just like me. I had to tweet from the council to the mayor Twitter site one time and it took me a good five minutes before I could hit send, even though the tweet had been pre-drafted, reviewed by multiple people. How did you get over that fear? It's nerve wracking. I think it's always in the back of your mind, but at some point, the work you're doing is moving so fast. And especially, I would say, over the last six months that I was in the job. I mean, with COVID, Twitter was actually one of the best places that we had an opportunity to speak directly to people. And to the best um, extent that I could, I would respond to as many people as I could because people didn't know where to turn for information. And between the mayor's press conference, the governor's press conference, the president's press conference. There was so much out there, but it was hard to actually distill and get to the heart of what people were looking for. So I think I got over my fear a little bit just because I had no choice. So Freddie, you had a terrific profile of you written in, I think it was Jewish Insider. And one of the interesting, and by the way, we will link to that on the council website. So those of you that want to read the profile can go onto our website and there'll be a link. One of the more interesting tidbits I discovered in reading that profile of you is that my job is your dream job. And and by that, I mean, growing up, you wanted to be a lawyer. And, and, And it also explains a lot about our conversations, which I will get into, because I always felt in many of our conversations that I was talking to a lawyer which I don't say, as you know, I don't say that about many people because there are a lot of fake lawyers walking around. And you are a fake lawyer, but you're actually one of the best (laughs) fake lawyers I've ever met. Like no greater compliment you can give me. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I I definitely wanted to be a lawyer. I I think I told you this, Capel. My mom's a lawyer. My Nana was a lawyer. I have aunts and uncles that were lawyers. Like law was what I was exposed to when I was younger. I was on the mock trial team in high school. I went to college and I studied for the LSAT and I started, you know, 
going on the Common App and figuring out what schools I was going to apply to. And one day my mom said to me, you should take a year off. She was like, I'm a lawyer and the best advice I can give you is take a year off. Don't go straight to law school. And I ended up going down to D.C. A, a friend of mine from college had gone to D.C. and worked at the leadership conference on civil and human rights. It's like an umbrella group for all these organizations, including HRC, the ACLU, every major organization you've heard of likely is affiliated with the leadership conference. And all of a sudden I was in DC for the first time and I was seeing change happening in real time and seeing progress that didn't actually include a courtroom. I had wanted to be a civil rights attorney. It was my dream to go work at the Transgender Law Center out in California. Suddenly I was like, huh, maybe I don't need to go back to school to get involved in the kinds of issues I want to get involved in. And at the end of my internship, I was sent to Ohio to document voter suppression around the state. And that was really my first exposure to that. And it just opened up my eyes to this whole other world. And suddenly, law school was a dream of the past. It was like, I can do something different than what I thought I had to do. You mentioned the fact that your mom is a lawyer. There are additional lawyers in your family besides your mom. Your grandmother is also a lawyer. Isn't that right? Yes. My, my dad's mom, I call her my nana. She's a lawyer. She is going to be 88 this year. So I don't think you know that many 88-year-old women that have a law degree. He actually got her law degree at the same time that her daughter was in law school. And she did what I did and studied and took the LSAT. And her daughter was studying and taking it at the same time. But yeah, she was in her 40s or 50s at a time when I don't think many women were pursuing uh, professional careers later in life. I come from a long line of independent, smart, sassy, successful women, and I hold that very dear. Freddie, you come from a family that has a really strong sense of civic duty. Early on, you discussed maybe wanting to be a civil rights attorney, then finding another way to serve the public through politics. How did you end up at the mayor's office? It was a long road to the mayor's office. And it was a long process coming to City Hall. I interviewed for the first time in November of 2015, and I got a job in May of 2016. I first interviewed to be uh, Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn's communications director. I went through a round of interviews. Them. I met a bunch of different people at City Hall, and I eventually met with her. And you know, anyone who knows Alicia knows that she's upfront and direct and honest. And she said to me, you're one of two people left and we're just making the final decisions. And it turns out that the other person they were interviewing was none other than Wiley Norville, who got the job. I did not. And I sort of thought, okay, well, that was it. And then City Hall called me again and they brought me in to meet with the then press secretary, Karen Hinton. I met with her and I met with a bunch of her deputies and again, never really heard anything. And then eventually I got a call one day and I think it was from Andrea Hagogans. Andrea called me and was like, I, you know, we haven't met, but I've heard your name around and I think we have something coming up. And after like six or seven long months, they finally gave me a job at City Hall as a deputy press secretary where I worked for Karen for about a week and then she left and Eric actually became my new boss. 
So, Freddie, before you became press secretary, you you served as deputy press secretary, correct? Yeah. So, <laughs> as deputy press secretary, what types of or what agencies did you work with? <laughs> so, when I was a deputy press secretary, I the the bulk of my portfolio was the Office of Management and Budget, the Office of Labor Relations, Department of Finance citywide administrative services. They emailed me what my agencies were going to be before I actually started. And I was devastated. I was like, okay, like, I guess they just don't think that I like can really do the work and I get it. I'm new and they're going to test it out, but they gave me all the duds. They don't, they're not giving me anything like meaty or heavy hitting. And you literally could not have hired someone to work there who knew less about city government. I wish I could have taken some sort of test before I started to show how little I understood about how things worked, because I don't think saying it actually even does it justice. For me at that point, remember, I'd wanted to be a civil rights attorney. That was where the excitement was. That was where the action was. And then I got to City Hall and it was like I'd been like knocked over the head with, you know, in those cartoons when a piano falls on your head. It was like all of a sudden I realized I knew nothing. Like, OMB and the contracts that actually pay the workers and, you know, citywide administrative services, that's the center of city government, right? I was sitting in these budget meetings and I was learning about what was going to happen in my colleagues' agencies before they'd ever heard anything about it. And it's so important. And I still care deeply about that stuff. And it gave me, you know, coming in knowing nothing, it really gave me such better perspective and taught me so much so quickly to be part of that world and that portfolio of issues. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really interesting because I, like you, when I came to New York City, I thought I knew everything there was to know about city government and I knew absolutely nothing. And your point about OMB, I think, is critical because when I started here, the last thing I thought I would do was spend a lot of time with the OMB director. And it has turned out to be quite to the contrary. I spend more time with OMB talking to them about what they're doing and the legal issues that the city's facing than I ever imagined. And and so I think that's right. I mean, to, to get those agencies actually turned out for you to be a significant boon to your career and where you were going to go next unexpectedly. And I think oftentimes in life, that is what happens. You get something and because of your lack of knowledge, you don't really understand that this is actually a great thing. Because I, like you, thought when I got in here, like, why do I need to know anything about OMB? They're the budget nerds over there. They'll just give us a few spreadsheets and we'll move on. Little did I know that they were going to be at the center of almost every significant issue that the city faces. And as we, you know, as we're talking about, we're in the middle of COVID right now. And I think OMB perhaps talks to the mayor more than any other agency because of the financial crunch that we're in and the decisions that they have to make regarding um, what agencies are going to get, you know, how much money in, in order to survive this COVID crisis. So if you think about it, when I started at City Hall and I had OMB in my portfolio, Dean Foulihan, who's now our first deputy mayor, was still the OMB director. And I had intergovernmental affairs in my portfolio. And at that time, Emma Wolf was the intergovernmental affairs director. So I was able to very early on ingratiate myself with two of the people who were then, but then especially grew to become two of the most, you know, important people within the administration. So it really, not only did it teach me a lot, I also got to very quickly form relationships with people 
you know, one, uh, one small anecdote that I'll share my first week at city hall that we had a citizens budget commission breakfast and Dean was the guest speaker. And since he was in my portfolio, it was my job as a deputy press secretary to go with him to this breakfast and, and staff him basically. And, and Dean doesn't need a whole lot of staffing. So really it was like, I showed up, I said, hi, he went up to speak and that was that, but I'd never done anything like that before. So when his remarks ended and the breakfast sort of concluded, but he was still standing around talking and I was standing in the back with nothing to do. And I'm always awkward in those settings. Like I'm not good at talking to people I don't know. I was looking around and I kept looking at my you know, phone, checking the time. And I started to think, oh my God, I've got to get back to work. I have to go to city hall. It's, I'm new there. I can't just not be there. Not realizing that this was also a big part of my job. And we knew everyone there and Dean was standing around talking and I eventually just left. I don't even think I said bye. I just left him and went back to city hall. And, you know, there was at the time, the comms director at OMB was this guy, Edward Lewine, who was amazing to me and then came over to city hall and, and he's worked in many places throughout the administration. And he came to my desk at city hall and was like, do you have a second to chat? And we went outside and we sat on the steps and he said, Dean would never say anything because it's not his style, but I, I think he maybe was a little surprised that you just kind of left him at that breakfast. Like you were there to sort of be with him the whole time he was there. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I didn't know. I feel so bad. And he was like, don't worry about it at all, but maybe you should just send him a note with some feedback about how he did. And I, I'm sure he would appreciate that. And I, I kind of wonder, had Ed not pointed out to me this sort of totally stupid and naive mistake I had made and not not very helpfully told me to email Dean and say, hey, sorry, I ran, but here's sort of what I thought about the speech you gave. You know, I, I don't know, I, who knows what, what sort of would have happened with my relationship with Dean and, and sort of the work I did at City Hall. But that was a moment that kind of opened up my relationship with him and, and also just taught me what the hell I was supposed to be doing there. So Freddie, for those who are listening who don't actually know City Hall or haven't been inside the physical building, there is a room, a famous, infamous room called Room 9 within the building, which is where all members of the New York media sit. What was it like for you interacting with Room 9? Terrifying. It was terrifying at first. It, it was actually so terrifying that I didn't go to room nine for like the first three months that I worked there. It's literally down the hall. So you have to make an effort to not go in there as a deputy press secretary. But I did. I made the effort and I didn't do it. And, and one day someone else who didn't work at City Hall, but who I it was a former boss of mine from SKD was at City Hall. And she's like, well, what's your relationship like with room nine? And I was like, oh, well, you know, we email or talk on the phone. And she's like, what? Like you haven't been in there? Just come with me right now. And and she marched me down the hall and, and sort of was like, okay, here it is. Like, it's not that scary. Pull back the curtain. And then from there on out, like it was, I think it changed for me. And I had, I was lucky that I think I personally had pretty good relationships with most of the people that worked in room nine. You know, if you don't work in the building, it's easy to forget that that's not just sort of like the term for the group of reporters, but it's an actual physical place that everyone works out of. And as such, you know, 
you might have, you might spend the whole day fighting with a reporter about a story that they're working on that you don't like. And, you know, you're in the rotunda and you're sort of making a scene because you're yelling at each other and then you're storming back off to your separate sides of the hallway. But then you might shoot a text at like, you know, 7.30 and you're like, hey, are you still here? Do you want to grab a drink down the street? And I think that closeness really helps with building the relationships and, and relationships are important in the job that I do. I'm not going to like every story they write. In fact, I probably dislike most of the stories that they write. But having the sort of the relationship helps build trust so that I think, you know, I think if you ask most reporters, they know that when I call them and I tell them they're not seeing something the right way or, you know, some fact that they have isn't right and I'm asking for a correction, they know that at least I'm being honest about that and they can trust me. And that's really important for the relationship. So it was terrifying at first, but then once I ripped off the bandaid and started to get to know them as people and not just people who were going to take my word, put them on record, whether I liked it or not, or whether I liked what they did with them or not, it really helped. And I, I've always said that the thing I really love about my job is that I get sort of two sets of colleagues I get my city hall colleagues and then I get my reporter colleagues and they have always been a source of fresh perspective for me when I'm sort of lost in the echo chamber of city hall. And I'm wondering whether something we're doing is actually resonating or if we need to talk about it a different way, it's sort of easy to go down the hall and, and, you know, fight it out with them and get a new sense of how other people see the work that we're doing which is not always pleasant, but it's certainly refreshing. Freddie, when you became the press secretary, talk to me about your expectations going in. Did you ever think when you walked through the doors of City Hall in 2016 that you would end up becoming the mayor's press secretary? Oh, my God. I couldn't even find the doors of City Hall. I like circled the, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people listening have actually been to city hall, but it literally sits inside a park and there's no street address. I'd never been anywhere where there's no street address before. I like came out of the subway and circled the block and was freaking out that I was going to be late and could not find the entrance. So no, I definitely, I didn't even know if I was going to survive my first day, let alone that I would eventually take the, the top job for the press office you know, I would joke that like my dad had sort of like a set of questions about work. He would ask me like, is Eric happy with you? Is the mayor happy with you? And do you think you could ever get Eric's job when he no longer has it? And I would say exasperated because we'd been over it so many times. No, dad, I'm never going to get Eric's job. And I don't even know if I would want it if I could get it. And then of course, once you get it, I mean, I like joke that when the mayor offered me the job, there was no moment of like, so are you taking it? Or like, okay, get back to me and let you know. Once he said, we want you to be press secretary, we never even had a follow-up conversation about it. Because once you're offered the job, at least for me, you don't turn it down. I'm not sure there's any other job in the world. Perhaps the White House is the only thing that comes to mind that compares. And I imagine when I leave this job or I get fired, whatever comes first, <laughs> that I will feel a real like sort of an initial relief, but then thereafter a real longing for the collegiality and the incredible intellectual complexity of the job and the the thirst for solving these really difficult but important issues that we get to deal with on an everyday basis. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's New York City. And when I say that, I'm not talking about New York exceptionalism. I'm not saying, you know, I, I might think this, but I'm not saying New York City is better than every other place on earth. What I mean is it is huge. There are 8.6 million people. There are five boroughs with a million neighborhoods and a million languages spoken and a million different incomes. And the diversity on so many different levels is unlike any other place on earth, as far as I know. And that means that the work that we do is is varied and diverse and different, not even day to day, but literally hour to hour. You at one point might be working on, there's been like a big pothole on the FDR drive that we said we were going to pave and it still hasn't gotten paved and we're fixing that. And then the next minute, There are protests outside of a shelter on the Upper West Side. And right after that, a kindergartner in New York City just won an award or something. And we're we're trying to honor that student and that school. There is so much going on every day in this city. And working at a city hall, you get to touch on all of it. I'm not an expert in anything, but I know a little about almost everything. And that is like a really, really cool experience. And I don't think that whatever I do next will give me that same opportunity. Is that your way of asking for your job back? (laughs) No, Bill's doing an amazing job and (laughs) it is all his. But there are a lot of things to miss about leaving this job. Hey there. And thanks for listening to City Hall Pass. I want to take a second to turn your attention to a critical issue. The integrity of our elections is in serious jeopardy due to the Trump administration's attack on the U.S. Postal Service. Disruptions in mail could cause delay to delivery of not just mail ballots, but to critical goods and services that some of our most vulnerable New Yorkers rely on to maintain their physical, mental, and financial well-being. I want to urge all New Yorkers to request a mail-in ballot for the presidential election. You can do it right now. Just visit nycabsentee.com. That's nycabsentee.com. Or you can call 1-866-VOTE-NYC. That's 1-866-VOTE-NYC. Thanks for listening. So, Freddie, you dealt with the press more than anybody um, as press secretary to the mayor. Often... You know, we hear in the newspapers and we hear from people in City Hall and outside of City Hall that the press's relationship with with our boss has not been great. What are your thoughts on how the press, the New York press in particular, has treated the mayor? Yeah, I mean, the relationship is I would say the relationship saying it's not great is putting it kindly. I wasn't here for the first two years of the administration. My understanding is that a lot of the sort of animosity that exists both ways was cemented early on. I don't think that you can easily say this is what started it or it was all the fault of the press or all the fault of the mayor. I think it was antagonistic on both sides and continues to be antagonistic on both sides. And I think that's the relationship between the mayor and the local press. And it's not like that with every reporter. And it's not like that with every outlet. There are certainly reporters that the mayor has a good relationship with. And I'm not saying that every story they write is biased or every story they write is negative. These are professionals and they do their job and they do it very well. And no one has it easy here. 
but I do think in many ways, sort of the, the script was written long ago and, you know, they sort of, in, they being both the mayor and the press enjoy fighting with one another at this point. Not only do you spend more time with the press than anyone else, you also spend more time with the mayor than anyone else, perhaps with the exception of Emma Wolf. And in doing so, I think you get to know the man in a way that very few people get to know. I think there, as with with most famous people, there is a public perception of somebody, and then there is a there is the real person who very few people actually get to see. Having spent the amount of time that you have with the mayor, how different do you think his real personality is from what people see in the public? I think that there are elements of truth in what you see in the public and what you see that's portrayed by the press. I mean, the mayor is an incredibly hard boss. I mean, he's also, lest we forget, the the responsible for the lives of 8.6 million people. And I don't think any single person who has never actually been responsible for the lives of 8.6 million people can imagine the amount of stress and uh, responsibility that comes with. But he's a hard boss. He wants things a certain way. He wants to make sure that we are delivering at our best all the time. And, you know, he will tell that to you. So if you work well during under those circumstances, then you can succeed here. And I think a lot of that comes through in the coverage and in, you know, watching him live, that he can be demanding and he can be tough. I think what you get to see less of is his sort of playful side. He loves to make jokes. He can be incredibly complimentary. He used to send me these emails when I would do something right, right? Like you always hear about when someone tells you when you do something wrong. But I remember he used to send me these emails sometimes, not even as much when I was his press secretary, but as a deputy, I'll never forget the first time he called me into his office. It was after one of the budget presentations. And we do four budgets a year. And there had been one in maybe in January, the first one, and we'd had like a late night prep session the night before. And he was asking some really basic questions. I was like scrambling through my notes and flipping pages frenetically and and desperately trying to find these answers that I really should have had on the tip of my tongue. And he was pissed and he had a right to be pissed. He was like, this is basic information. And you know, when we're prepping with limited time, I need you to be able to give me this quickly. And he was completely right. And I never messed that up again. And I did, I don't know, somewhere between eight and 10 budget presentations after that. And I always had a cheat sheet with the most basic information. And the next one, which was in April, I was ready for those questions. And I wasn't just ready for those. I was ready for anything I thought he could ask me. And the next day he called me into his office and said, you know, I don't usually do this, but you were really great and you really impressed me. Um, And I just want to thank you for being on top of your game. And you don't, no one else gets to see those moments, but when you're the recipient of one, you don't forget it. Freddie, you know, that's a really great story. And it actually sounds like a really seminal point in your relationship with the mayor. Um, Can you talk a little bit about one of your favorite days with the mayor? Honestly, maybe my favorite day in the four years of working here was last summer, July, 2019, The mayor was at the height of his presidential campaign, and and this was a weekend when he had stayed in the city. It was going to be a heat wave, and it was going to break records for like the hottest day in 10 years or something crazy, and we planned a full day to have him on the ground, and we went first to McCarran Pool um, in Brooklyn, and 
I have literally never seen anything like it. Like I always say the mayor is sort of like a celebrity in the sense that like when you walk on the street with him, like as much as you hear that people dislike him, even if you can sort of see them coming up the block, like muttering about him, as soon as you're actually in front of him, you're like, all right, well, hey man, like, can I at least get a selfie? Like people always sort of like stop what they're doing. Like you do get some people that are like, you know, Bill, you're messing this up or that up. But you also get the majority of people being like, oh, hey, man, you know, thanks for this or thanks for that. Or can we take a picture or whatever it is? So I had had a lot of experiences like that walking around with him. But when I tell you I've never seen anything like what I saw at this pool, I have never seen anything like it. People were swimming from one end of the pool. And this is a huge pool. I'm not good with measurements, so I can't even begin to estimate. But this is a big pool. People are swimming from one end to the other just to reach their arm out of the water to try to touch his hand. Um, And it was so special having, you know, I think I had been feeling especially low because the press had been really bad lately. And it just felt like nothing was going the way I wanted it to be going. And when you're in this job, you can't help but take all of that stuff personally. Like it really affects you. And then suddenly we're on like the hottest day of the year. I'm like sweating through my clothes, but I was loving it because everyone at that pool wanted to come take a picture with him. They wanted to hug him. Kids were acting like, you know, their favorite like movie star had just shown up. And it was like, we were almost at some point worried that he was going to get pulled in because so many people were coming into trying to take pictures with him and trying to hold his hand you know, all the women there and he gets us a lot. And I always think this is funny or like coming up to him and saying, you're so much skinnier than you look on TV. Like, let me take a picture with you. And, you know, everyone's saying like, where's Shirlane? We love her. And we went to a, you know, a senior center and, and there was all this praise of the work that they had done there. But it really was just a beautiful day of a lot of people sort of reminding me that, what I read in the press every day and what I experience in my own, my own world and my own universe is not necessarily representative of the entire city. I left, you know, when I, when he went back to Gracie and I went home that day, I was like on a high for the first time in a long time. And I think I still have the pictures on my phone. It's something I won't forget. So Freddie, um, transitioning a little, we have been going through a very difficult and challenging time since March Can you speak about how COVID was for you and your experience when you were at City Hall? I turned 30 at the beginning of March and I was dead set on going away and having a birthday celebration. I was originally supposed to go to Japan. I'd been planning that trip for like a year. And then obviously it started becoming increasingly clear that travel to Japan was not recommended I canceled my flight to Japan on Wednesday, a few days before, and Thursday night at like midnight, I booked a flight to Peru to leave two days later. And February 29th, I got on a plane to come back on March 8th. And I landed the next morning on March 1st and checked my email and my heart sank because we had our first uh, known case of COVID in New York City. And and we'd been preparing, right? But we'd been like, we've been waiting. Like we'd all been on alert waiting for this moment, knowing it was coming. And then there it was. Like I was in in another country, you know, far from my work. And we had our first case. And 
I felt so guilty the whole trip because each day it got worse, right? And, and we didn't know how bad it was going to get. But that first week, it felt like, oh my God, like this is as bad as it's going to get. This is horrible. And I've missed all of it. And I felt so bad for Olivia, my deputy who was covering for me that week. So I got on a plane about a week later to come back to New York City. And I landed at JFK Sunday morning and I got in a cab and I went straight to the Office of Emergency Management and I basically never left. I think it's interesting. People don't know, I suspect they don't know, that most of City Hall since March has been empty and you can't be the press secretary to the mayor of New York City sitting at home. I mean, you've got to be there with him every single day in the trenches. And I imagine, I know when I saw you, there were days when there were like three people in this, or four people in this building, which is really unique, different when, you know, this is usually a beehive of activity. But in these last four and five months, it's been so, there've been so many unusual aspects of COVID and the challenges that we've all faced individually and collectively. But coming into City Hall and seeing four people here on a weekday is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, it was a ghost town. The the reporters weren't there. The city council wasn't there. And 95% of the people who work for the mayor's office weren't there. And I'm not, you know, the plight that I experienced is far better than people who have suffered real loss. I, I kept my job. My family stayed healthy. I was very, very lucky throughout the crisis. But I think the thing that people don't always realize or think about is like, you know, there's a lot of talk about what the morale is like in the mayor's office and what it's like to work at City Hall right now. We were going through, like I said, we were working 17, 18 hour days, seven days a week. And usually in any workplace, when you're experiencing something difficult you can sort of look to your left or look to your right or walk down the hall or go to the metaphorical water cooler or whatever it is and sort of like, you know, chat with your coworkers or complain together or gossip or laugh. That didn't exist at City Hall. We'd gone from a place that housed hundreds every day and was always bustling to like a ghost town of, you know, six people if we were lucky. And also, you know, people were working out of the Office of Emergency Management and people were working from home. But the physical being inside the building was completely changed. As we've been discussing, you spend an enormous amount of time with the mayor. And and in that process, you've gotten to know him very well. You've traveled throughout the country with him. Did you find in traveling with the mayor, you got to see a side of him that very few people get to see? Oh, absolutely. I traveled with him a lot because I did all of our legislative work. So I've been to D.C. with him. I've been to Albany with him. We went to a conference of mayors down in Florida one time. So I've had, I actually do enjoy it. I think you get to see a whole different side of him. And and it's really helpful in sort of creating a, a better bond and a better relationship. But one time that I traveled with him definitely stands out among the rest. Last year, in the beginning of the year, we went to Iowa. It was sort of a skeleton crew. And so it was like me, him, and one other person. And then of course, detail. And we were traveling from one place in Iowa to another, and we had a snowstorm. And we were on this highway, I think it was, and it wasn't getting any better. And we were like, all right, like we got to get off and we got to kind of figure out what we're going to do. So we pull off of the highway and we're looking for a place to spend the night. And 
we are driving around and we're trying to like make a turn and we literally get stuck in a snowbank. Like we cannot move this car. So now we're all out of the car. The mayor's out of the car in his, you know, I don't think he was wearing a suit, but like something more formal. And we're all like trying to get the snow away from the tires. It was like a very real moment. I mean, we were also like New Yorkers in Iowa. So you might ask other people who were like, no, it wasn't real at all. But like for us, it was like, we were trying to to get this car from out of the snow. And eventually we're like, this isn't happening. We're going to need to like call professionals or something. And at this point it's, it's pretty late and we haven't eaten and we're looking around and there's no food in sight. The only thing we see is this gas station. And the mayor says to me like, well, I guess that's what we're eating. And it certainly would not have been a place that I would have chosen to have dinner, but you know, you're with your boss and you're not going to complain. So we walk in together and I'm kind of looking around at like the chips and like the packaged food. And he just goes right for it. He's like, oh, wow, like we've got a full meal here. And he like leads the charge. He gets this burrito. He pops it into the microwave. He picks out all of the extra toppings he wants. And then he's looking at me like, aren't you hungry? I'm like, all right, like, I guess there's a first time for everything. And my first time today is I'm going to eat this microwave burrito from this gas station in this small little town in Iowa while we are stuck in the snow. Um, we get our like goods and we, we see a motel up the street and we're like trudging through the snowstorm and we get there. And when I say like, it was a snowstorm, like you literally had to like kick the doors in because everything was so frozen. We like couldn't get into the motel we finally get in and we check in and we spent the night in one of those small rooms that motels have where they do like the continental breakfast in the morning. And it was just us and the detail and the other person who was traveling with us. And we're all like eating our burritos and whatever chips we found at the gas station. And, you know, we did a little bit of work in the beginning and then we're like, let's just have a night where we just hang out. And someone else we were with, told the mayor a story about something having to do with my dad that was totally random and silly, but inconsequential. And the mayor remembered it. And for the whole rest of the time that I worked for him, which was like another year and a half, he would randomly bring it up and like make reference to my dad and the thing that my dad was interested in. It's a nice memory and it's, it shines a little bit of insight into who he is and how thoughtful he can be when you get to see that other side of him. He met my dad um, a few months ago during the last Diwali celebration. And my dad, similar to me, can be somewhat verbose. And he, I remember my dad was waiting on the side and the boss saw him standing there and I was talking to my dad and he walked over and he proceeded to talk to him for probably 20 minutes and then insisted upon taking a picture. And I mean, those type of small kindnesses, I think the public doesn't really see that side of him, but he's actually a very genuine, authentic, decent human being. And it just, it meant a lot to my dad. And so you know, the fact that he remembers those like anecdotes about your parents, it doesn't surprise me because that's what I've seen as well. And I think it's just a side of him that very few people see. So I really want to thank our guest today, Freddie Goldstein, for sharing some really interesting anecdotes about her time at City Hall. I don't think there's anybody here who probably has the wealth of interesting stories about the mayor and just City Hall life generally. So Freddie, 
thank you so much again for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much for having me on here. I, I really had the best time and I would love to come back anytime you guys need someone to, to talk to. This podcast is brought to you by the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City with support from the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. Special thanks to our executive producer, Stathi, and a big thank you to Karen Rowland and Andrew from the Mayor's Office of Media Entertainment. We couldn't do this without you.